beginning parts of creation. And I got a lot of comments on, on the Bible study from, from online and also from in the room. So if you're online, we welcome you to the online Bible study. If you'd like notes, send us the inbox and we'll give you the notes and the study guides that we're studying from. Uh, we're on all sorts of platforms from Encounter360.org to YouTube to Facebook um, to 800FM.org. We're at several different places. So wherever you're looking from, we uh, welcome you. And if you're looking later by podcast on Speak Life Today or on Roku TV from Sermon.net, uh, we'd like to say welcome um, to our Bible study. Uh, so guys, I'm excited to get started. We got a lot of good things that are going to be covered today, and I want to go ahead and get into them. You guys ready? We're starting at the book of Genesis chapter 2, and as we can see, uh, you'll notice that Genesis 2 looks a lot like Genesis 1, and that's because um, we talked about the fact that Genesis is written in a poetic form. So you could think of, when you write Genesis, a high-level view. Uh, if you were looking from the sky and you could see creation and what creation is. And so we saw God on a high level begin to create the world and all the things that we covered last week. Uh, and and so we'll save our time. If you didn't get that last week, I highly encourage you to go to the Bible studies or those people online to get that. Um, and we're going to go down and we're going to drill down in chapter two. Chapter two is going to be a more focused view of actually what's happening. Uh, in the garden. And some of that we covered, we went on, on down a while, but we're going to look at some things and I'm just going to start reading um, verse one. Let's read that together. We'll go down to about verse, uh, we'll go down to about verse seven. That's where we'll go. So let's read that together. Ready and read. Thus the heavens and the earth were completed in all their vast array. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he had been doing so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Then God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on it, he rested from all the work of creating that, that he had done. This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created, when the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. No, now, no shrub had yet appeared on the ground, on the earth, and no plant had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain on the earth, and there was no one to work the ground. But streams came up from the earth and watered the whole surface of the ground. Then the Lord God formed man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living soul. Now, as we go into some things today, we talk to, uh, we speak to some things in our culture. Everybody say absolute truth. Absolute truth means that there is an objective truth. There is an objective right and wrong. And as you begin to look at some of the things of agnosticism and animism and atheism and deism and all these other isms, you look and you see all those different ideas. When you look into that, each one of these is a thought process that somebody has to rule their life. That is a belief system that they have created. So agnostics uh, generally say that it's a belief that it's not possible to know if there is a God or the true God. We talked about Gnosticism, didn't we? Which means knowledge. So agnosticism is actually to mean without knowledge or to be ignorant of. Uh, 
Uh, I don't know if I want to pick that as my choice, <laughs> uh, just from the sheer definition of what it is. And we have many different belief systems that go about in the world of who God is and, and what God is. Some people believe in spiritualism and that some people believe God is in earth, the earth and they hug trees all the time. And some people believe that God is throughout creation in different ways. And we see deism and uh, Thomas Jefferson is a famous deist. He took out all the parts of the Bible that didn't agree with his thought process. And, and, and so from that, he created the thought process that God was a, a deist. And lest we be careful to be too critical of Thomas Jefferson, oftentimes we don't cut them out of the Bible physically, but we cut them out mentally. Uh, we, we don't like the parts that talk about God in a way that we don't like to see him. But I'm glad we serve a, a God that is an absolutely true God and that there is an objective right and wrong. And deism, for those who want to know, is the belief that there is a God, but he's not involved in the world. In other words, God created the world. He made the world, but he's no longer involved, really, in human events. Kind of a case, Sarah, Sarah, whatever will be what will be. Uh, what we believe in is we believe in monotheism. Does anybody know what monotheism is? That's it. Monotheism is a belief that there is one God. We hear all the time the phrase from the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is what? One. And we see that word, everybody remember the word Elohim. Elohim is a plural version of God. When it says, and God said, let us make man, the word they use is Elohim. You will see the word Yahweh some, but at that time God had not revealed himself as Yahweh. We don't see that until later when he reveals his name to Moses. And the reason we can see this in the text clearly is because Moses is the person uh, we believe who is writing the text. So by that time, they would have known who God was and they would know who Elohim is. And so we see that we serve one God that is in three persons who are the what? The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We call that the Trinity. Some might argue that I don't see the word Trinity in the Bible, but we can see, clearly see from the nature of God and how he's revealed through creation and through his word that we serve one God that is three persons, which are the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And they even give us a clue when they call him Elohim, which means that he it's a gift to a plurality of God. So there are many thoughts in the world. One of them is postmodernism. Everybody say postmodernism. Postmodernism is a very popular thought process today among young people. It depends on critical theory. And I know a lot of you have heard of critical race theory, but there is a th thing such as critical theory from which these things derive, which basically means it deconstructs everything. It says everything is bad. Therefore, we must tear down everything. All structures are bad. Every institution is bad. Therefore, to get where we need to be, we must tear down everything. The problem is that you tear down everything, but you never build anything or, or find anything worthwhile to put in its place. Um, so critical theory is not in itself a good thing. It, it criticizes objective truth. It does not like the fact that there is an objective right and wrong. For instance, if I say that I am a potato, who are you to tell me that I am not a potato? If I'm a potato to me, that's a subjective truth. So it should therefore be subjective. But you can clearly see that I am not a what? Potato. I'm brown, but I'm not a potato. You can obviously see that. So there is an objective truth and objective right and wrong. And the reason people do not like objective truth, can anybody figure out why most people don't like objective truth? 
Can anybody tell me? They, there you go. They have their own opinion. And who likes to be told they're what? Wrong. I'll give you a prime example. I can teach or preach a sermon on faith and what God's going to give you and what God's going to do for you. And you'll get hundreds or thousands of views. I start to teach on faithfulness. You may get 70 because nobody likes to be told what to what do. We, our flesh doesn't like to be told what to do. We like to be our own gods and to determine what we like to hear. So we get excited when we say, God's got, this is your year and you're coming out and God's going to bless you exceedingly abundantly above all you ever ask or think. But when you start saying he's going to do that, when you change your habits and your lifestyle and you become faithful to him, it kind of turns us off. And so society, as we get wickeder and wickeder, you, you'll notice that as society changes and we get further and further away from God, have you ever noticed that nobody likes a mirror the more you gain weight? Why is that? Why is it that you don't like mirrors? I used to love mirrors. My brother used to say when I was young and I was in shape, you stay in the mirror too much to be a, a, be a guy, but I fixed that a few pounds and all of a sudden I don't like to go by the mirror quite as what much. Anybody else like me? And, and oftentimes we don't like the mirror of truth because the mirror of truth shows us some things that aren't necessarily what we want to what? See, it may show us some things in our life that make us a little bit what? Uncomfortable. So at postmodernity does not like absolute truth and objective right or wrong, but whether it is or not, we see that God created the earth. Therefore, God is sovereign. Therefore, whatever God says is right is what? Right. And whatever God says is wrong is what? Wrong. And the thing is, it's amazing because he's in charge. He never asked our opinion about it. And a lot of times we're big about giving our what? Opinions on how things should be. But when we see creation, we see God make it just how he wanted it what to be. So when we see what he created, we'll look at how he did that. And so people attack God because the presence of a sovereign God with rules means that there's an objective right and wrong. So we like pantheism and things like that. In other words, I'm going to look at pantheism believes that belief that all is God, including concepts like Mother Earth and the cosmic mind and spiritualism. People that say I'm spiritual, but they don't necessarily say I'm Christian. And we can see and we don't have time to go there today. But I will tell you, study the book of Romans chapter one all the way through the end. And it will begin to tell you how people began on the downward path, because the Bible says, although they knew God, they knew neither were thankful nor gave thanks to him as God. And so what happened is they became wicked and debauched and off in their minds. And instead of worshiping the creator, they began to worship what? Other things. Now we don't see other gods worship till about Genesis chapter 34, but that's when we see them worship. So we can assume that they will worship much longer before that as man leaves God, God's original intent, he goes down a downward what? path and a downward spiral. So, you also have what you call secular humanism. And I want to cover that because that's what we see most in our culture today. Does anybody know what secular humanism is without looking at your paper? Oh, it's too late. She already looked, but you can tell me if you could. I'm, just, I'm glad you at least took the effort to look. Secular humanism is the belief that man is the center of all things. There is no God or no spiritual the dimension, we see narcissism pull from this, that everything is about how you feel. Do what thou wilt to thy own self be what? 
true that everything is centered around man that would create a culture that was so narcissistic that it spent all day instead of helping others say they were taking pictures of themselves all day and doing silly things like we wouldn't do that like take silly pictures and tell people what you're having for lunch and for breakfast as if somebody cared and to put out all sorts of things that are always about you 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 and never about anybody else we, we don't have a culture like that do we that's constantly entered into the self, that's constantly selfish instead of selfless. Do we live in a culture like that? Where everything is about pleasing your what? Self. The Bible says in the last days, men will heap unto themselves teachers that pull them to what their itching ears want to hear. And so many times, even some pastors may be, be in fear of their preaching too hard a sermon because many people are so soft that if you tell them too much truth, they get mad and they what? Leave. Because they want people that tell them that they're great and that everything about them is perfect and that everything is good and there are no problems and there is no change necessary. But the Bible teaches, and, and I didn't get this from myself, uh, Mark Driscoll, I heard him say this and it was the best way. When do you quote somebody when you can't say it better than they said? He says that the day's culture teaches acceptance and God's teaches repentance. So they say, if, in other words, if you love me, you accept everything about me and never tell me that I need to change. But if you're godly, you teach repentance that I must line up with what God teaches because that's what's going to have eternal consequences and benefits for me in the future. Amen. Amen. So we'll see those things. Um, and, and, and I'll put down this for somebody who wants to go back and look at it at Philippians 2. Uh, chapter Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. If you could pull that up, Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. I'll give that to you one more time. We're going to take our time tonight uh, because we want to begin, begin to see these things. But Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. I'm going to go ahead and read it and you can uh, you can come along with me if they pull that up. Philippians chapter two, verse three through four. And it says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit Rather, in humility, value others above your what? Selves. So that means the motivation of the Christian should be to what? To serve, to value other people's agendas above your own. That's not ignoring self-care and feeding yourself and doing things that are important to take care of yourself. But what it is saying is that you become not selfish. I like this definition that says being humble doesn't mean thinking less of yourself but it means thinking of yourself less. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You need to know that, that God made you that way, but you don't need to spend so much time on yourself and interested in yourself that you never get anything to help others. That would be the indication of, say somebody came to church and every time they came to church, the only thing they would say is, I need a word. Everybody say, I need a word. I need a word for what I'm going through and nothing wrong with that. If I, I love to give consolation uh, words or give word the word of God where it lifts up and it builds up and it edifies. But at some point in time, we have to get off milk where we always need affirmation and we need some meat that teaches us to help other people. For the Bible says that the son of man came not to what? Be served, but to what? serve and give his life as a ransom for many. I'm going to move on in the text because I'm running out of time already. It's amazing when you get into this, how, how it goes. Is this helping somebody tonight? Amen. It, it's helping me. 
Um, so I'm hoping that it's helping you as well. If it's helping you in the chat, go ahead and put it. It's helping me. We love to see that. Now we look here in the book of Genesis and one of our, our tasks was to know that our God is monotheistic and that although we live in a secular humanistic and a postmodern post culture where everybody in the emphasis is on mankind and on the self, and selfishness that Christ has called us to something quite differently. He's called us to be different from the what? World. So there should be a distinction between the thought patterns of the world and our thought patterns. So how do, where do we see this? It says, and be not what? Conformed to this world. Don't think like the world thinks. Don't follow the patterns of their world, of the world. That's Romans 12 and two. It says, but be ye what? Conformed or transformed by the what? renewing of your mind. So we see now, as we go a little further into Genesis chapter two, we see that God has done some things. He has created a uh, man from the dust of the ground. And I want you to be able to see this, that it is a consistent pattern about God's relationship to man and man's relationship to others. I'll give you those pictures and if they want, they can put those pictures up uh, from Adam uh, I think that's the fifth slide or so. But if you look at the correlation of the words in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, it says this Genesis chapter two, verse seven says, then God formed man from the dust of the ground. Now, the reason I want you to see that is because when it says that God formed man from the dust of the ground, that should be the first slide. Uh, Genesis chapter two, verse seven, a, and what it says, if you look at those words, he uses the word for man and the word for man is Adam. Everybody say Adam. And we see that down there once where it says one twenty that he formed man, Adam. but he says from the dust of the what ground. Do you notice how similar the word ground and Adam look where you see the neck, the last word you see up there says what? How Adama, where it says of the ground, right? So that means that the words are similar. Where did Adam come from? The ground. Adam and Hadama are the same word almost. And you can see that God formed or fashioned Adam from the what? Dust of the ground. So if you're wondering where it is, look where it says man. And you'll look to the left and it says Adam. And down to the bottom, it says he formed man from the dust of the ground. We'll see later that that's uh, God breathed into us the breath of life, and we became a living soul. And also we will see that as God creates woman, you see that same correlation, that man is called Ish. Everybody say Ish. And woman, woman is called Isha, which means that she came from man, that she came, she came from man, that the Bible says God caused a great sleep to come upon Adam. And he took from Adam a rib and formed the first surgery there ever was. And he formed Eve. And Eve, and he named Eve or Isha, she is a man with a womb for she has come from what? Man, she has come from me. So let's look now in Genesis chapter two, verse seven, because there's some things I want to cover. And I want you guys to be able to see here that are some good things. And at any time you can stop me, but I want, wanted you to see these things. It's important for us to know that the creation story, number one, is about our relationship to what? Man but it's also about our relationship to God. And so when we see that the thief comes to kill and steal and destroy, what is he trying to break? Our relationship with who? God. Because God is, everybody says Zoe. Zoe is a Greek word and brother Bob probably knows what it means. It means life. 
And, and so God is life. So if you're connected to God, you're connected to what? Life. To be disconnected from God it's, or to be separated from God, the very definition of death means to be separated from a thing. In other words, so when you are separated from God, what comes then? Death. For the wages of sin is separation from God. So by disobeying, we'll sin a little bit that Adam and Eve are separated. They're pushed out from the presence of what? God. But before we get there, there's some good stuff there. We're going to look down a little bit more and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2 and start reading uh, about verse 8. And then we'll just stop. When we get ready to stop, we can read as much as we want. How about that? So we're going to go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 8, and I think we're going to read down about to 15. Let's read that. Now the Lord God had planted a garden east in Eden, and there he put the man he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In the middle of the garden of Eden, the garden were tree of life, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now let's go to verse 10. A river watering the garden flowed from Eden, and there it was separated into four headwaters. The name of the first is Pishon. Its winds through, it winds through the entire land of Havilah, where there is gold. The gold of that land is good, aromatic resin, and onyx and are also there. The name of the second river is Gihon. It winds through the entire land of Cush or Ethiopia. The name of the third river is the Tigris. It runs along the east of side of Asher. And the fourth river is named the Euphrates. So the Lord has placed the garden in creation in the land of Eden. And he's put it to the east. And the Bible says to water that garden, there are four. One river comes out and creates four different tributaries of four different rivers. Now we see, if we had a map, you could go back and see that we do see two rivers now that still exist to this day, which are the Tigris and the Euphrates River. Didn't know your social studies would come in handy when you're studying the Bible, would you? But the Tigris and the Euphrates still exist, and scientists and satellites have been able to see the extinct riverbeds, and they believe that they have found the Pishon and the Gihon. And this is around the Fertile Crescent area, although we don't know exactly where Eden is. Some scholars believe that in the Pishon, it's either somewhere around southwestern Arabia or somewhere on the other side of Ethiopia, which is somewhere deeper into Africa. And we also see that uh, in the land of Cush, does anybody know where Cush is? I already said it. Can anybody guess? The land of Cush, does anybody know? The land of Cush, we call modern-day Ethiopia. And so it, Cush is Africa. So when you hear of Cushites, uh, that, that, that is northern Africa. That's where the Ethiopians live. Uh, and so we see that the, the northern Africa and the Middle Eastern area is really the stage that is set right for, uh, for creation, where creation is started. So the Lord's called these things. And it's amazing that in... Um, one river, the first one he gives, that he actually tells some descriptions of the land where there's a lot of gold and there's a lot of aromatic resin and onyx stone. He gives a good description of those lands. So in order to better understand mankind, we should better understand geography as well so that we take the Bible from just a Bible story and we use it as a historical book too. It's telling us the area where these things happen in the Euphrates. So then it says, and this is where I want to start good today. Uh, verse 15, let's read that. 
It said, the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. Now, those words there are, are some, some good words. If you go back and you look up the Hebrew of those words, we just see tend and to take care. But there are vastly different words that are actually used uh, for that when he says to tend and to take care. The first word that he uses when he uses to say to tend is abad. Everybody say abad. Abad can be used a lot of times. We'll see that when they're doing some priestly references around the book of Numbers and other way, other places. It literally is almost like a priestly type word. It means he put it, him in the garden to work it and to serve it. Or in other words, to minister to it. He's given man a goal and he's given him some things. And then he says, the next word that he uses is everybody say shamar. So he says to tend it and to work it. That word literally means to keep watch or to preserve or to guard it. Wait a minute. If he's guarding it, who is he guarding it against? He let got it. If he's guarding it, who is he guarding it against? He gives it. Let gives the answer. One of the answers is the Satan. Satan. Why? Because we will see that Satan is going to enter the garden in just a what? Moment. And because Adam doesn't do what he's supposed to do to work and serve and protect the garden, although his job was to protect the garden from outside influences and to protect the garden from Satan, that when Adam disobeys God and Eve disobey God, God not only puts them out of the garden, but then he puts an angel there to protect the garden against them. Wow. That God wants this area protected. Why does he want this area protected? Because in that garden is the what? The tree of what? Not just the tree of knowledge and good and evil. But somebody said it. The tree of what? Life. The tree of life is there. And we also see that uh, in, in the book of Revelations, that in the midst of, of, of Revelations, we see what? The tree of what? Life. And, and there's a tree that sits in the middle of the water and is good for the healing of the nation. So God wants this garden protected. And now because man is disobeyed and I'm going a little bit ahead of myself, um, that God wants him uh, it to be even protected from him. So we see now that God gives man a mandate. Everybody say mandate. mandate. He gives man a job. So when he puts man here, he says, I want you to minister and serve to this place. And I also want you to protect this place. He gives them a specific purpose, which lets us know that everybody on this earth has a specific what? Purpose. He, there is a purpose that you have within the earth. He's given you a, a something to do within the earth. You are not just here by accident or incident that you have a purpose. And not only that, he says to tend it and to work it or to cultivate it. We see in the text that at that time there was actually it says that nothing vegetation had grown from the ground at that time. And God put him in the Garden of Eden to what? To tend it, which means that he's going to cultivate it. And what does a farmer do? A farmer unlocks the hidden potential that's in the ground. A farmer can look at something that everybody else says is desolate and wasteland and know how to tend it and cultivate it and bring out its what? True potential. 
just like God does. God looked and we saw in Genesis one, God looked and he barad. He took the, the earth that was formless and without void and darkness covered the face of the deep. And he took it and made something from it. He cultivated the potential out of it. And now we see he's placing man in the garden and he's saying, cultivate the potential. So when you actually do your work, your work is what? Worship. God has given you the ability to bring things out and cultivate potential. How do you say that? There's a keyboard back there. That keyboard is only worth so much money, but in most people's hands, it's actually absolutely useless. But in a musician's hands, it's priceless. <laughs> yeah. You, you can go to Walmart right now and you can get a basketball. Pay about 20 bucks for a basketball. That basketball is worth about 20 bucks. If you give it to LeBron James, or if you give it to Michael Jordan, or if you give it to Steph Curry, now that basketball is worth millions of dollars because God has given them a gift and they can take something and cultivate it, something out of what? Nothing. God has given you a potential and a purpose. And one of the things you need to know is, God, what am I here for? Why did you create me? Why? What is it that I can do easier than everybody else with the least amount of effort? Some people, you'll take some ham and eggs and other things, and some people will touch it. And it's something you don't want to eat. But there are some people who can take uh, a little bit of flour and a little bit of sugar and a little bit of eggs. And next thing you know, there's a masterpiece that pops forward, that God has given them purpose and given mankind the ability to build and bring things out of nothing so no human being is worthless god has put something on the inside of you amen, amen. so if you don't get anything out of tonight and somebody i want you to put that in the chat unlock your potential god has given you a potential and he's created you with a potential and you should not die without realizing the potential that he's given not only did he give a specific purpose and the ability to cultivate potential but also he's called him to work and serve to protect and serve that our job is to what serve even in the church the church is not to serve us but we are here at the church to serve what other people it's not our, it's not people's job to come in and serve us inside the church, but the church should be serving the what? Community. The church should be doing things in the community. I like the things that are happening right now after services. We're going to drop off blankets. And, and even if it doesn't seem something huge, what that's teaching us is that somebody was cold. We gave them a blanket. Somebody, we gave a card that may get the word. Somebody was hungry and now they have some food and they'll remember that for as we Im are imitators of Christ and we know that the son of man came to what? Serve. So through service, we are living out our God-given what? Potential. There is no such thing in the church as a bench member or a pew member. There is no such thing as a Christian who just comes and sits and does nothing. That is not a Christian. That is a paperweight. God has called you to do something. You may not be able to do one thing, but you can do the other. You may not have a lot of money where you can give, but you can pray. You might not have, have the be best prayer life, but you're working on that. But you can serve somewhere. You can hold the door for somebody. You can lead somebody to Christ. And if you don't know how to lead them to Christ, you know the address to the church. Lead them to the church and allow the church to lead them what? To Christ. You're called to work and serve, and you're also called to keep watch over and protect. But the main thing I want you to get is that God has given man something that's a cuss word in today's world. Everybody say responsibility. Nobody likes that word in today's world. 
Nobody likes to be responsible for something. He creates this garden and says, Adam, you are now responsible. Somebody say, I'm responsible. You are responsible. You are not you are not you are not called to complain about the world around you. You are responsible to what? Change it. Cuz Jesus says you are the what? Salt of the earth. You are responsible for change within the earth. Now when we look at what we talk about that we're here to do with this church, we're here to what? Reach the lost. We're here to what? Teach the found, and we are here to what? Change the world one life at a time. You are responsible to be an agent of what? Change. That every day you live your life, the world should be a little bit better in this fallen world because you have done something through prayer or through faith and work and deed to make the world a better what? Place. On your job, on your home in your home, wherever it is, that God gave man responsibility. So it is a trick of the enemy to teach men not to want to be what? Responsible. It is a trick of the enemy to teach man to get pleasure without what? Responsibility. That when God gave him responsibility is when he gave him a what? Wife. And God created Eve. Therefore, who is Eve's father? God. So the Bible says that God created Eve from Adam's rib and handed Eve off to Adam. What does that look like? That looks like a wedding ceremony, doesn't it? In other words, he took Eve and he gave, after he gave Adam a job and he gave him some responsibility. You shouldn't be looking for a wife that you can't take care of. That, that, that might not be for the people in the room, but somebody else might need to hear that. You should not be looking for a wife that you can't take care of. If you can't take care of yourself, if you don't have responsibility, and I'm not just talking about money. If you can't be the priest of your home and you are not spiritual enough to lead your family, at least in basic worship and the study of the word, you are not ready to be a husband. Because more, just as important as her physical well-being is her spiritual well-being. And you need to be the priest of your house. So God takes Adam and... And he hands her off to Adam. And so the father is handing off the first bride. And Adam calls her Isha, which means she is taken from Ish man. But do you know what is another definition of Ish, Isha? Lath probably knows it because Lath speaks Aramaic. Uh, so Lath can cheat. But Isha, everybody said wife. He took her and gave him a what? Wife. So he took one man. And handed him what? One woman. Brought them together. And that's the foundation of his world and society that he put here. And then he put them in his garden where he is daily fellowshipping with them, which is worship. So they are his royal priesthood. Does that sound familiar? For you are a holy people, a what? First Peter 2, 9. You are what? A royal priesthood. God has put them there to commune with him, to fellowship with him. So now he's given them what? Responsibility. Everybody say responsibility. And he's given them each other. So now they are not only responsible to God, but they are now responsible to what? Each other. Because he's responsible to serve and protect her, and she's responsible to help him accomplish the goal and the vision that God has given what? Him. So when you have a family, it's important in your family to know, God, why do you have our family in the earth? What is your purpose and your vision 
for our family and how should we accomplish it? Most families, the enemy keeps at a standstill because there is either a man not seeking out his vision and his purpose and the purpose for their family, number one, or if he is, a lot of times he's got one vision, but his wife has what? Another. Now there are two visions, so that causes division. And a house divided against itself cannot what? Stand. But it is God's order for people to be in unity. And we see that in the Trinity, don't we? We see that in Elohim. We see the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit are co-equal. Everybody say co-equal. They're the same. But they're also co-eternal. But at the same time, one submits to the what? Because my pastor used to say this a long time ago. Anything with more than two heads is a monster. <laughs> And so you can't completely complete the purpose of God in your in the earth with disorder. So we see God has created an order to society. We see God has instituted the family, which is supposed to be the building block of society. And this is what he decided. So anything else, an other idea or philosophy is other than what the creator what created. And God gives him a purpose to help complete. So he is allowing Adam in verse 19 to, to do something. And let's look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 19. Exodus chapter 2, verse 19. Anytime you want to interject, you're welcome to interject or ask questions. I'm going to give a few minutes and we're going to be able to ask questions. Now the Lord God had formed man of the ground and all the wild animals and all the birds in the sky. He brought them to the man so that he would name them. And whatever the man called each living creature, that was his name. God gave, who has authority to name? We talked about that. The ability to name something gives you what? Authority over that thing. So God is allowing man to have authority over the things that were what? Created. So that's a powerful responsibility. With power comes what? Responsibility. And so he said, Adam, whatever you called this, that's what it will what? Be. So he's given Adam this authority, and Adam also named Esha. He also named Eve. So God has given him authority. The Bible says that God is the head of Christ, Christ is the head of the man, and the man is the head of the woman. I didn't write that. God wrote that. If you have an issue with that, take that up with God. That's not with me. Don't write me. Don't send me an email. Get on your knees and pray to God and ask him why he did it that way. But that is not... To, to be a misogynistic or a, a sexist type thing, he's creating a order. He's And everything has to flow in what? Order. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit are co-equal in nature. Let this mind be in you, which was also in what? Christ Jesus, who being God, thought it not robbery to be what? Equal with God, but he lowered himself and became a what? Servant. He himself was God, but he took a role to be able to submit himself to fulfill the purpose that is in the plan of God right there, that he was designed or that, that he created, because he is God himself. He is God in the flesh, God incarnate. Are you guys tracking with me? You still with me there? This, this is some good stuff. Um, we're going down now back to Genesis 2, and we're going to finish up the last verses of Genesis chapter 2, uh, and then we're going to give the last few minutes probably to questions. So he, we see that he's given Adam authority uh, and he's given Adam dominion over things. And we'll see next week, Adam give those things away. And we'll see 
eventually Christ restore those things in the prophecy for Christ to restore those things when he crushes the head of the serpent. So let's look at verse 20. What does it say? So the man gave names to all the livestock. I'll read it. And when they catch up, they'll be able to get their verse. Genesis chapter two and 20. So the man gave names to all the livestock, the birds in the sky and all the wild animals. But for God, no, but for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place of flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man and he brought her to man. The man said, this is now what? Bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will become woman. We've said that a bunch tonight for she was taken what? Out of man. And Adam and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame. They felt no shame because what God had created was perfect and good and there was no sin. Shame comes from sin. Condemnation comes from the enemy. But thanks be to God that his blood covers that sin and it covers our shame. And we see that um, that Adam, he says that she is what? Flesh of my what? Flesh. She's the same essence of me, but she look a little better than I do. <laughs> She's bone of my bone. And so we see also in the scripture where it says, for this reason, must a man, what, leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife and they shall become one flesh. That is actually a euphemism that comes to the joining or the consummation in marriage, uh, that they are connected spiritually and they're connected physically, uh, that it's God's blessing for them to be fruitful, multiply and fill the what? Earth. So they are connected relationally, spiritually, and physically that God has done this for them. I feel proud because it looks like I'm actually going to make my time, Lamar. Almost. I say that, but I got a lot of notes here. Uh, we just may have to save some for next week. Can't do it all in one night, can you? I want to, wanted to read these things because it's important that now we see a relational component. We see the connection of the spiritual and the physical. We see man's connection to God. We see man's connection to what? One another. And we see this also in the, in the, uh, in the 10 commandments, the first five books, first five rules are about man's relationship to what? God. The next five rules are to God's relationship, our relationship, what? To us. So they asked Jesus, how do you sum up the law? He says, love the Lord, your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength. And then what? Love your neighbor as yourself. So what's he basically saying? Follow the commandments. Because <laughs> that's what it is. It's a, of course, what he's saying is those commandments are, are summed up into that. Love people and love God. And that's what the, what the commandments are about. So there is a relational harmony that we see that man has a mandate and a helper to complete his task. And when we fight and have divisions in our household, what that does, it, it dilutes the power and the strength God has given us and the synergy and unity uh, that we have. So the man has a relationship first with God. Everybody say first with God. And this is this is something I wanted to read to you guys. This is one of our power principles tonight. It says God has designed, sanctioned and blessed the relationship of a husband and a wife. They were of like essence in humanity, but distinctly different. Both designs were there to carry out the purpose of God. It doesn't take you long to see that there are distinct differences in a man and a woman 
from, from just general observation. They were designed to carry out different purposes in the earth. The man puts forth the seed. The woman keeps that seed, incubates it, and, cre and creates, and life what? Springs forth. That is in the perfect plan of what? God. God made it that way. And so we see that in God's purpose. And so we see God's original design and intent for the family and creation. So everybody say, this is the biblical blueprint. There are other blueprints to do life. There are other blueprints in the world that other people use. But as Christians, if we're going to use God's blueprint, we see God creating a man and a woman and joining them together to be fruitful, multiply, and to fulfill his purpose in the earth and to subdue the earth and conquer the earth uh, to serve for his glory. So we see that. So families should be united with a vision and a purpose. And I ask you a question. What is the vision for your family? If you're a one person family, what is the vision for that family? And I want you to ask the question, is there division or is there harmony in your family? To fulfill the purpose and the plan of God. That's a lot in those scriptures. Did you see all that packed inside those scriptures? And we could actually take a week or weeks just to cover that. We haven't even scratched the surface of what we see inside of those scriptures. But you see how rich the word of God is? And I'm going to give a, a challenge out to those who are listening by Facebook. If you have a question or something that you would like answered, uh, shoot, us a, shoot us a message. And we'll try to address that during, um, during our sessions and during our time. Well, I'm going to give this time for you guys to answer any questions or ask any questions that you may have or have any comments that may have sprung forth from this teaching. Any questions? Yes. Mm-hmm. 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 Why did he do that? That's a very good question. Uh, Miss Bernice asks, why did he create her from the man and not from the dirt? He creates in a relation. So our relationship is to the dust. He created us as from the dust and from the dirt of the ground. That's why you see the word Adam that comes from Adama, from the ground. And so he breathes into us nephish we become a living soul he breathes into us the breath of life and man becomes a living soul so as our relationship came from the ground as mankind from dust we came and dust will what return so we shouldn't get too proud about ourselves because we we come from what dirt so when he pulls woman he pulls woman from what from man from ish from isha so we see a foreshadowing of this or, or an alliteration to this in in the in the scriptures in the new testament for the bible says that if you you need to treat your wife with loving and love and kindness because how you treat your wife the bible says no man would abuse him what self so why would you abuse your what wife because she's a part of what you so you love your wives as christ loved the church and you treat her as your what self now, I know somebody saying I can't do that and I don't do that all the time. This is not a state. We know that you're an imperfect being and we know that you are an imperfect creature. But at the same time, that should be your ultimate goal to treat this person as God will want. Because guess what? Each woman on this earth, God created. And so therefore, when you when you are trying, especially a Christian woman, because if we're Christians, they are children of who? God. So if you are, are mistreating somebody, I often tell my daughters, I say, I'm a pastor. But if you want me to go to jail, 
Find somebody that put their hands on you. <laughs> and daddy will go to jail real quickly. Y'all will just have to find somebody else to do Bible study. Or we can live stream from Oakland County. Whatever we need to do. <laughs> but I'm going to protect my what? Girls. So doesn't God protect his? The Bible says that you should dwell with your wife according to knowledge that your prayers be not what? Hindered. In other words, if your relationship to your wife isn't in a line, God said, why are you talking to me? I need you to get this right. You mistreating my child. So I need you to go back and I need you to get that what? Right. And we see that consistent with scripture because the Bible says not if you have an alt with your brother, but if your brother has an alt with you, that you should leave your gift at the altar. Don't even worry about giving it. Keep your praise and go make that relationship right first. Then come back to the altar and worship God. Because if your horizontal relationship is not correct, your vertical relationship is not correct. You can fool us, but you can't fool God. Jesus says, how can you love me whom you've never seen and hate your brothers, those in relationship to you that you see every day? He says, we lie and do not the truth. So as the woman comes from the man, it is our job to serve and to protect her as she's helping us to accomplish the goals that God has for our life. That's why she doesn't mind doing it in a biblical relationship because nobody minds that's in their right mind. It's helping somebody to accomplish a goal that is serving and protecting them. Who's going to hurt somebody that's helping them? Anybody? So if a man is taking his responsibility and he's taking care of a woman, spiritually and physically praying for her uh looking and dwelling with her as the bible says according to knowledge studying her habits learning to to minister to her because we see just like in the garden they were priests to serve and protect your marriage is a ministry that woman will willingly they should now because of sin we know that doesn't always happen uh because <laughs> we have our flesh but she should willingly want to what submit now we know we're in flesh and we know that sometimes that doesn't happen but that's the ideal and that's what we push towards. We don't change the word of God because we don't meet it. That's our standard. So don't put your standard at me. Put your standard at the word of God. And if you fall short, keep striving for that to be your standard. That was a long way to answer that question, but that was a great question. <laughs> that was an in-depth question. Anybody else got a question? It, it did. It went by way of Chicago. That was a loaded question. It had a lot of stuff in there. That was a question that couldn't just take a yes or a no answer. That was an open question. And I hope that that, that answer blessed somebody. Um, if, if that be it, I think we're finished for tonight. I did meet my time. Uh, that, and that, that is good. But we also had some good questions. And I really enjoyed doing this. And I pray that it's blessing you and blessing somebody else. Uh, and next week we'll start in Genesis chapter 3. And we will see trouble in paradise. So um, for those of you who do not know God, if you're watching by this live stream today, is the best day for you to know God. Not just by praying a uniform prayer, but by willfully submitting yourself to God, to abandoning your way and accepting him and his sacrifice of his son Jesus on the cross for your sins. If you, if you do that, we believe that you are born again and that we will say today, welcome to the family of God. God wants to know you. You're not watching this by an accident. This is by intent. And if you don't know where your home will be today, we kindly invite you to make Jesus Christ your Lord and Savior, to submit to God 
and to, to accept the sacrifice of his son, accept the free gift of salvation that he's given you. And we'll, we're going to pray for you right now. God, I pray for anybody watching this stream that the enemy will not have any any glory in it, God, Lord God, but that you will use it for the edification of your body and for the salvation of those who need to be saved. We pray that this word will go far beyond us and to the realms of the world to bless somebody who may hear it today, tomorrow, or in the future to come. Bless your word, Lord God. Let it be as the dew comes down from heaven according to your word, that it will go out and it will accomplish all that you send it to do, that it will not come back void. We believe that and receive it according to your word. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Somebody give God a hand clap of praise as we cover out.